0: A joy to have you here. I want to have your help in welcoming our lead pastor, Pastor Charles. So let's say welcome to him as he comes. Hey, good morning. Welcome. Sorry for the uh, setup here. I have some back problems right now. I had a little back procedure done, and there are some issues. So <laughs> thanks for bearing with me. Uh, my name is Charles, I'm the lead pastor here, and happy Thanksgiving week. It's good to see you. I hope you have some fun plans. Uh, it's, it's just such a lovely season when the leaves start turning, and it's nice, right? And it's great to be together here. So as Mike mentioned, uh, you may notice these flyers on your uh, seats, 20th anniversary giving campaign. The reason why we are doing this is because this building is getting sold, and we have to leave here next October. We have some time, but still, we want to set ourselves up well for the next phase of our church. Makes sense, right? So we are doing this giving campaign, and we're asking you to donate, uh, because our next steps will be decided by what this church desires, envisions and enables um, if you have any questions read the flyer uh, listen to the sermon from last week where i talk about it more in detail or you can come upstairs after the sermon uh, the service is over and chat with me about this or any other thing so you know since we are asking you to invest in the river community a natural question that comes up is what would you be investing in why should you invest in this community i see some nods right Uh, what's uh yeah what's the river about and what can you get out of investing here well we have evolved over the last 20 years of our existence. First, dozen years of our church, we were a very solid evangelical church. Do you guys know that term, evangelical? Uh, It's taken on a meaning of its own, Uh, Back then, it was a little less that way, but uh, we were part of a very well-known evangelical group called uh, Vineyard Christian Fellowship. How many of you heard of Vineyard Christian Fellowship? Quite a few of you. How many of you heard of Hillsong? More of you. So Vineyard was Hillsong in its day. 40, 50 years ago, not to date myself. Uh, It was the big thing back then uh, as the evangelical uh, music group. Uh, Our focus was being biblically centered, spiritually powerful, and practical change in people's lives. And these are good values, and we still believe in them and pursue them. These are good things. But for the last seven, eight years, we have become increasingly focused and convicted uh, on agape, love. Unconditional love. Agape is a very important word in the Bible. You know, it can sound a little weird, right? Agape, what is that? Well, whenever you read... In the Bible, love, God's love, it's an important concept, right? That's agape uh, in its original form. There were lots of different words for love in Greek, but agape was a unique word. This theologian, Anders Negrin, puts it this way. Agape love is unmotivated in the sense that it is not contingent on any value or worth in the object of love. It is spontaneous and heedless, for it does not determine beforehand whether love will be effective or appropriate in any particular case. This is a very interesting and important aspect of agape, because every other love is contingent or conditional upon the object of love right? Romantic love, for example. You don't just fall in love with anyone and everyone, right? There are conditions. (laughs) You like see someone and there are things that happen and you find yourself in love. (laughs) Uh, Have you ever, right? You don't just like go around with anyone and say, you, you know, fall in romantic love with them, right? That's not the way. Or mother's love. the very condition. You know, it's your child <laughs> that you love. You don't just... You know what I'm saying, right? So every love is contingent upon the object of love. There's some condition attached to it, except for agape. It's a very unnatural love. But every time in the Bible that talks about importance of love it is this particular type of love not any other type for example when Jesus tells us do agape and you will be saved for eternal life it's not just love it's agape Agape God, agape yourself, agape each other. Everything in the Bible hangs on this. This is the greatest commandment. You love yourself, love, love your neighbor, love God with all your heart, mind, soul. You've heard of that, right? It's agape. It's not just any other love. Anyone who agape is born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not agape does not know God, for God is agape. These are always translated as just love. But, you know... It's not anyone who loves is automatically knows God, is born of God, and is saved. If you fall in love through Tinder, that does not just automatically save you. That does not just automatically mean that you know God now. Do you know what I'm saying? Right? Wouldn't you agree? It's not just love that will save you. It has to be agape. It's only agape that is salvific, and that's why we began to put more focus on it, try to understand it better, try to interpret everything through the lens of agape, because that's what the Bible tells you to do. And when you do that, somewhat different convictions and understanding of God emerges than the usual traditional Christian message. For example, I have a defining experience in my life that led me to go into ministry that that some people would say was the calling upon my life. That still today serves as a bedrock experience when I think about God and pursuit of God. Some of you may have those kinds of experiences. Some of you may not. I have this experience, and many of you have heard this story before. But I want to illustrate the difference of narrative and lessons that emerge when you apply agape as the grid to interpret my experience versus the classic traditional christian grid something very different happens i want to illustrate that so if you heard this before just bear with me there will be a payoff at the end i think (laughs) so anyway 30 years ago i was pursuing phd at mit uh, up in boston i was feeling pretty pleased with myself at the time. Now you heard of MIT, right? It's a good place, and I just thought I was on top. I was smart. I was competent. I was uh, doing this program where I was on track to be like top of the world. I was in good shape. And then in the spring break. I went to visit some friends in Colorado, and they took me skiing, and I had this terrible accident skiing down this triple black diamond slope, which was really dumb, but it left me with a herniated disc, and I had chronic pain that traveled down my left leg, which made it una- which made me unable to sit or stand or walk for more than 15 minutes at a time. I was pretty much disabled, constant pain. And the doctors, they were not sure if they wanted to operate. They said, you know, it's 50-50, whether you get better or worse. They said, you are young, you know, you're in this very stressful place, MIT, They jokingly said, you might wanna consider going to a place like Hawaii, more relaxing and just rehab and see what happens. Turns out I had a friend in Hawaii who was willing to let me live (laughs) uh, with him. And so I thought, MIT, Hawaii. Hawaii sounded good. So, I ended up living there for about a year. At first, I was pretty happy. But then, six months of not getting better, like this sort of thing can just just not get better. So, always in pain, I got depressed. I despaired, wondering if there's anything I can do with my life. Because if you are just always in pain, you can't even sit or stand, what can you do? What's your life gonna be like? I fell into a dark spiral, especially because I grew up in a Confucian culture where your performance is what determined your worth. I grew up with lots of scholars in my family, and your academic performance determined. How worthy you were. And before, I was on top. I felt pretty good about myself. But now, if I couldn't finish my program, if I couldn't do anything in my life, then I was nothing. I felt worthless. I would be worthless. And that felt crushing. In the midst of kind of angst and anxiety. One day during prayer time, I felt presence of God. And I felt like God asked me a very strange question at the time. I felt God asked me, what do you most want to do with your life? It felt like I was opening up all kinds of possibilities in my life when I was thinking about Is there anything I can do? And it was very striking. I thought for a while, and my answer was, you know, actually, I would like to go into ministry. Because when I look back to when I was happiest, it was when I was part of a faith community with deep connections, and I could invest in helping people, and I could help You know, I was part of a community that helped each other get better. Those were happy moments. And I felt like God said, okay, you do that. Soon after, I ended up coming back to MIT, Cambridge, Massachusetts. And with a few friends, we worked on starting a church. And that church grew from seven people to over a thousand in just a few years. We ended up buying a, a former Catholic church. They were in a selling spree. I don't know if you remember. They needed to raise money about 20 years ago to pay for all the lawsuits they were losing. And here are some pictures of that church. There's a whole city block north of Harvard. Nice, right? And I made $43 million in 18 months playing stock market from the floor. Uh, So that was cool. (laughs) That doesn't happen every day. Now, I lost most of it during the dot-com bubble. Anybody remember that? Dot-com bubble. I thought I could make so much more and just kept gambling with it. And poof, easy come, easy go. Oh wow! What a ride, huh? (laughs) I had a fun time. (laughs) Now, at this point, classic church sermon might turn to the lessons from such an experience. You know, I might turn to say, you know, God is alive, right? What a change! From being an invalid on a floor to such a meaningful life, from a prayer experience, God is alive. And God can do the same for you, right? I can teach you because I've done it. I know how to, you know, go from being a loser in despair I know the right way to pray, I have heard the voice of God, follow me, call this number at the bottom of your screen, you know, and a dedicated prayer warrior will get to you, donate, you know, give money to this church, to me, you know what I'm saying, right? You've heard messages like that. Or it can become a moral lesson, Right? You know my answer to God was not, "What do I most want to do? I want to buy a Ferrari. I want to go around, have a good life." My answer was, "I want to be in ministry. Ding, ding, ding ding ding. Right answer. right? You want to help people. You're not selfish. Be a good person. You answer you answered right, so you were rewarded with protection and prosperity and miracles, right? So don't be selfish. You know, live your life for other people. Be a good Christian, and God will reward you. Right? That would be kind of a classic message, right? If you haven't caught my drift yet, that's not where we are going to go here. That's not what we preach here. We, I personally believe that would be a big mistake. That's not what the Bible would teach you. First off, I still have major back problems. It didn't just go away. Prayer is not magic. If you do the right thing and know the right theology, God will solve your problems. That's not how it works. I know so many great people of God, pastors, dedicated their entire lives to God, did amazing works, had wonderful character, better than me, and they would get sick and pray with all the most powerful prayer people in the country. Vineyard was famous for this sort of thing. Wouldn't get better. Get sick. Just never get better. Never recover. It didn't work that way. It's not. God is not like a vending machine, you know, press the right button and you get a miracle. It's not how that happens. The thing is, blessings, spiritual power, prosperity, protection, God's miracles, rewards from God, they are not the point of faith. They are nice things, and I want you all to have them. More the better. You know, I wish all of you could have $40 million playing the stock market, you know, buy a lottery, win it. You could maybe donate some money to this church. It would be great, right? More the blessings and more power to you, but that is not the point of faith. The Bible teaches us, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, heavenly language, but do not have agape. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Just a loud, fat nothing. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, you can be the greatest theologian who ever lived. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, you're so spiritually powerful, you can actually move mountains. Unbelievable. But do not have agape, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, live an unbelievably selfless life, and even sacrifice my body, martyrdom, such that I can boost, but do not have agape, I gain less than nothing. Agape never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease; Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Now, these three will remain forever faith, hope, and agape. But the greatest of these is agape. What a powerful message. What a powerful message. At a time when people really focused on spiritual power and theological knowledge, and we still do. Churches make so much of these things knowing the Bible, knowing theology, the right theology having spiritual power praying a lot memorizing the bible being a good person helping the poor even martyrdom these we would say are signs of spiritual maturity we would say the point of church is to help people grow in these things we would think people who possess these kinds of qualities our spiritual leaders and pastors. This is the point of faith, we would say. But what does the passage tell us? You can do all that, but it's less than nothing. What counts is agape. Isn't that clear? Isn't that so crystal clear that agape is the focal point? It never fails, it lasts forever. So, if I look at my experience, not from the grid of spiritual power, knowledge, reward, you know, I picked the right thing, and I knew God in the right way, I prayed the right way, so I was rewarded, which is listed in this passage, all those things. That's what makes the right kind of Christian, right? But if that's nothing... Instead, if it's agape, if I look at agape as the interpretive grid for my experience, very different narratives emerge. I was in despair. I hated my body. I was just, I couldn't believe it. You know, when, when you have your body and you can just move around, I can't even pick up things. I can't put on my pants. It's you, you don't think about it when you are able to just run around. But when you get into this kind of space, you start to despair. I hated my body. I hated my situation. I beat up on myself for being a failure. Have you ever felt worthless because of your flaws and failures? It's a dark place. It's a miserable place. When you can't change something about yourself, and you feel really down, and people around you look down on you, that's a miserable place to be in. I was caught up in a huge anxiety spiral. Not just because of my disability, but because of what my disability meant who I am and what I was worth. I felt worthless. And that feels hellish. When you don't like who you are, and you can't change it. It's pure hell. And that's partly why I just so sympathize with the LGBTQ community. You Can't help yourself, it's who you are. But people around you say you're worthless, especially churches, that God hates you. Uh, I can't stand that. I'm like, what in the world? That's a message from hell. <laughs> What is happening here? Amen? It was a hellish place. And I also rejected the world. I blamed my friends for taking me to that ski resort. wasn't fair. It's not fair, right? Just wanted to go have a good time. But when you're in a dark place, you stop blaming. I'm ashamed to say that. I lost a couple of good friends because of that. I still feel pretty sad about that. I don't know how to restore it. Because I cut people off out of my bitterness. I was so self-absorbed in my misery, I lashed out. I hurt people. Uh, Anyone relate? That happens, right? I was cut off or I hated myself and I hated people around me. Hell on earth. It's a miserable place. So what God did for me is God enabled me to look up and look around. When I, with that prompt, what do you want to do? When I Thought about helping people. That made me feel better. Being a blessing to people around me. That's, that thought got me out of the pit I dug for myself. I chose it for myself to be in that pit. And I realized I could try to get out of it by... Embracing myself and people around me. That's the greatest commandment, right? Agape, each other. Agape, yourself. Come out of it. So the lesson is not that if you give yourself to ministry or helping people, then as a reward, God's going to give you prosperity. God's going to protect you. And God's going to give you heaven. that That's not That's not how it works. You see, the reward from God is doing God's work. Do you see the difference? It's not that doing God's work will result in reward of heaven for you. Heaven is doing God's work. It's when I started thinking about being in ministry, spreading the message of God's love, trying to help people. I went from this hellish, lonely place to a much happier space where I felt I could embrace myself as worthy whether I was disabled or not. Whether I was able to help people or not. No matter what. This message that God loves me and think I am worthy, just because I am made in the image of God, I am a human being. That's all. There is no condition attached to agape. You remember? That, that got me out. So heaven is not the reward of doing God's work or following God's advice. <laughs> God's advice is heaven. <laughs> Do you get it? It's, it goes together. I went from hell to heaven, my personal hell to my personal heaven. I hope you get that. I would love to talk more about that. So come upstairs if you want. There's lunch there. You know what's better? Free lunch. And just able to talk about stuff like that. So, this is a different narrative. It's not give to church and do God's work and God will reward you. It is your privilege and it is your heaven and reward from God to be able to give and to be able to love yourself and people around you. Amen. So, this is how God is good all the time. This is how God is good all the time. God is your friend all the time. Not just when you're being good. God is always trying to be your friend, our friend. So the classic church message is like, do more, give more. What good are you? You, you know, ungrateful people. Jesus died for you. What have you done for Jesus lately? That's all just terrible message. It just only results in guilt and shame and self-flagellation, all things that put you into isolation and personal hell, right? No good. When we understand this message and start living out of it, it really changes your life. I am a personal beneficiary of that. And that's why I do this. And it's not just me. A lot of people experience similar things. So at this point, I'm going to invite Anthony up. He's been a good friend and a board member of this church. And he has really powerful stories. And he could talk for 30 minutes, actually, about his story. But I asked him to keep it to about five. (laughs) So he'll have more chances to speak. He does not like speaking in public. So... So this is a great favor. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony.
1: Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity, Charles, to be absolutely terrified. (laughs) So I'm here to share an experience that I had giving at the river about 10 years ago. But before I do, I'd like to share some of my story. Don't record this. Growing up, I attended Catholic school and went to Catholic Church where I learned that if you follow the rules, you get rewarded. You're a good person. And if you don't follow the rules, then you're not a good person. At least that's how it felt. And being that I could never follow the rules, it felt as though I was never enough, never good enough. And then in my adolescent years, we switched to a fundamentalist Bible church where everything was interpreted literally, where we explored questions and alternatives in faith, which while interesting, raised doubts about the teachings that I had from my youth. And their teachings had lots of problems. Nevertheless, it was there that I was able to establish a long-lasting connection with God. But entering my teenage years, I became indifferent. Wasn't really interested in faith. I wanted to hang out with my friends. But during those years, I struggled a lot. Things weren't great at home, and I surrounded myself with lots of the wrong kinds of people. I started drinking. I started fighting. You name it, I was doing it. It was a really rough time. When it got bad enough, I turned back to the church. But unfortunately, it quickly triggered those memories of not being good enough from my youth, fueled by all the rules and the rituals. I came to see Christian teachings as a harsh motivation tactic, like feeling awful about oneself would push you to improve. And sadly, I believed it and I embraced it, reinforcing decades of self-doubt and low self-worth. The relationship that I was having with God, the way I understood God, left me feeling worse about myself, and it was damaging to me emotionally, spiritually, and physically. I even acted harsh towards people, because using this logic, I thought I was motivating them. And sometimes that still causes trouble at work. And then I got a postcard from the river in 2010, and it was clear after my first visit that this would be my new home. How did I know that? Well, up until that time, I had never left church feeling better about myself than I did when I walked in. And so that's how I knew. And that's how I felt most days leaving here. I've gotten a lot out of the river over the years. Some of the things I've learned, for example, that years of tradition shouldn't stand in the way of reason. That it's not acceptable to exclude anyone that the complexity of the Bible can be summed up with unconditional love, and that I am worthy of love from God, from others, and from myself. These teachings enabled me to treat people with kindness and respect through life's ups and downs, including towards myself. This change came to me slowly. It took over a decade here, and it's had a profound and positive impact on my life and relationships, and that's why I love this church. So that was just some context to talk about this experience I had giving, and I made some notes but I know this story really well because it really happened. I've been here for 13 years and I can literally count on one time the amount of times the church has asked for money. And the first time was early in my career, it was 10 years ago, and my brother can vouch for this, I was not well off 10 years ago. In fact, I was almost $120,000 in debt. Or not almost, I was. I think you were worried about (laughs) me. But I was straightening out my life. I came down to the city from Westchester to make a go of it. And so I started getting straight, saving money, which was new for me. And I was paying off one small bill at a time. And I had been here for a while. And I loved the place. We were on the 40th floor. Floor of the World Trade Center 7. We had a great space, but we started having issues. And Charles challenged us to go big in support. But the challenge wasn't to go big on the donation. It was a challenge to go big on our faith. Basically, we ask, we believe, we commit, and then we give out of what God provides. That's how I remember it, and it inspired me. I prayed on it, and then I asked God to provide whatever I committed to. And the next day, after the prayers, I pledged to donate $40,000 over the next two years. I believed. I believed that I could believe that God could give it to us. And within one week of the pledge, I won a huge commission at work. I got a salary increase of 50%, and a quarter of the debt that I mentioned was forgiven. It came to me from many different places in a short amount of time. And it was an incredible experience. And what's more, since that time, with all that debt, since I started giving, I always have more than I need. And it gives me a lot of joy to give. It's my purpose. So I plan to give significantly to this campaign this year. And I hope you will all join me in doing so, because this place is significant. And I want to ensure that (coughs) others have the opportunity that I've had to receive what I've received. Thank you
0: Thank you, Anthony, what a wonderful story very inspiring There's a lot more to this story and so I'm gonna make him share some more (laughs) early next year So, you know look forward to that So We are a church community that is centered on agape love of God that we can experience for one another as we extend it to one another. It's a unique thing to be a community, uh, have a place where you are unconditionally affirmed and accepted and acknowledged as worthy. Not that every behavior is good, there's harmful behavior that goes against agape. And that needs to go. But who you are, how that behavior goes, proceeding from the principle of agape, makes a huge difference. And how you understand the world, understand yourself, understand your worth, your purpose, what makes for a worthy life, It's night and day. And that's why a community like this is worth supporting. So I hope you will join me. Caroline and I, we are going to give significantly. It's a blessing to me to be able to be in a community like this. So the reward is the community. The reward is the smile we see on each other's face. The reward is the change we experience in our hearts. And that's all worth investing in. It's a pearl of great prize. So think about it. We're going to wrap this up early next year. Think about it through the season of giving, right? It's coming up. And then we'll see where we go from there. But I'm just so happy to be with you all. I'm grateful. It's the week of Thanksgiving. Let's give thanks to God. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you are agape. It changes so much of our life, faith, how we understand worth, how we should live. So we pray now that you would come and touch our hearts even now. And your spirit would convince us of your agape, your love, how you see us. And we pray that that would become a a spiritual power, an anchor in our soul, that enables us to go through the ups and downs of this life with joy and gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen.